Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Okay. So this morning though, we are so blessed to welcome Jared King uh, this morning. Jared's a good friend of mine, a pastor friend, part of Missio Church. He uh, planted Missio with his wife about two and a three, two and a half three years ago, and, uh, and they've been kind of really affected with the whole uh, last year not being able to meet in their community center where they were at, and so have been mobile. This is the first time back on a stage in a church building for a year and a half, and uh, it's such a privilege to have you here, Jared. I just really respect you a lot, and, and I'm so thankful for what you're doing, your family's doing, and starting a church in Seattle is a difficult thing, and so lots of respect for you. And um, as he comes up, you guys give him a hand, and we're going to pass that on to him. Father, I pray that you would uh, give Jared your words. Uh, I know that just as a, a preaching week after week that um, we strive to look for and, and so hope that your words would come out of our mouths, that the preparation that we have done um, has been your preparation, and um, what happens on a Sunday is what you need to guide our hearts right now. And I know that you've brought every person here for uh, the, re the purpose that you need them to hear this message. And so I pray that we would open our hearts. We'd break down those walls, those walls of, of bitterness, perhaps, those walls of, uh, of confusion, of fear, of uh, not caring. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And in this heat, may you push that aside so that we can hear what you're speaking through Pastor Jared, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Keith. Uh, so um, I first just have to call attention to the fact that I'm wearing my Superman shirt, and I can't see Hector. I don't know where he is. Oh, there he is. But I think the first time I preached at Epic Life, like five years ago maybe, I was wearing my Batman shirt. And so um, I told him that I would change that but still would go with the theme of uh, superheroes, and so that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, so the last year, so we planted the Missio Church at, at the Northgate Community Center three years ago. And so the last two of our birthdays, we have been in quarantine, which has been super fun. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure it's been wonderful. Um, and it is weird because for the last, you know, 16, 17 months or whatever, we haven't had something like this. Uh, we've been doing everything online. Um, and then this summer, when the weather got better, we decided, you know what, we're done with being online. Seven people are watching. It doesn't really, it's not doing what we need it to do. So we started doing backyard worships. Because you know what, if we don't have a space to meet, we're going to make a space to meet. And it's been really, it's been actually kind of... Um, amazing to watch what God is doing when you just kind of decide, look, we're just going to keep moving forward. 
that no matter what's taking place around us, that's not going to kind of stop the movement of God in a place for a people. And so you've got to keep moving forward. And it's been really encouraging to see our people come back, come to backyards, and every single week having new people that we don't know showing up in people's backyards for a really informal time of worship, but something that's really important. And it's amazing because people need community. People need that sense of connection. And so I just want to encourage us, you know what, that things are weird still, and they're going to be weird for a while, but the movement of God is consistent and constant. And we just need to align ourselves with the movement of God and watch what he does through that. So again, I'm Jared King. Again, I don't know a lot of you guys, which is really strange, because like four years ago, I knew most of you. Um, but the thing that I like to do kind of every time that I come and, and teach at Epic Life is just kind of say that honestly, without this church, I don't think that Missio Church would exist. You know, when we were first here in Seattle, we experienced some really trying times, and we found Epic Life by the grace of God, and Epic walked alongside of us, encouraged us, allowed us to take some of their people and we were able to start this church, this Missio Church, just down the road, right? And it's been a really beautiful part of our story to have the relationship with Epic Life. And so whether or not you've been a part of this church for six months or maybe one month or a year, uh, you just need to know that you're a part of a bigger story. You're a part of the legacy of this church's desire to send new churches out on mission, um, and that's a really important thing for you to know and to understand. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for what you guys do at this church and for being a part of our story um, in bringing about this new church into existence. All right, so now this is the part of the sermon where I had a bunch of really awesome jokes um, planned that I was going to say things like, this is going to be the best sermon that you guys have ever heard this year. I promise you that that's going to be true. And then I was going to ask you to turn to the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is like, don't make promises that you can't keep. But um, I decided that we're just going to do away with the jokes and just kind of get to the heart uh, of the, the matter this morning. Because honestly, that's what, the, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, right? The Sermon on the Mount is all about getting to the heart of what God was trying to get across to his people. And so I know you guys have been working your way through the Sermon on the, on the Mount for kind of a long time now. And one of the things that I love so much about the Sermon on the Mount is that, that Jesus didn't show up and gather a bunch of people together and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a bunch of brand new things that you guys have never heard. I'm going to create something completely different than what you've been a part of. That's not what he came to do. There, there, there's a friend of, of mine and Keith's and probably some of you guys uh, may know him named Matt Rosenberg, who's the rabbi at Restoration Synagogue, which is a messianic synagogue that just meets up the road at the uh, North Seattle Church. And he just finished writing this book called um, Jesus Never Said Anything New. And the point of his book was to say that, that Jesus didn't come to say, look, everything that you heard from God through the prophets, throughout scripture, all those things, no matter, they don't matter anymore. Those are those are not important anymore. I'm coming to brand, tell you brand new things. That's not what Jesus came to do. Instead, Jesus came to say, look, the, the things of God matter. The things that God has been saying to you for generation upon generation are super important, but you just kind of missed it a little bit. 
you missed some of the heart matters of what God was trying to get across to you. And so I'm going to come and I'm just going to say it a little bit differently. And, and in the book, he says that the reason why people were so amazed at this was because Jesus said all of these things with such great authority because he was saying it with the authority of heaven. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So many times, I'm sure you've heard it said in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Jesus says, I, you have heard that it was said, right? You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. And it's not that Jesus is saying, look, what was spoken about long ago through the prophets and leaders of Israel, those things were wrong, those things were false. So let's get, let's get some brand new things to talk about. No, he was saying, look, this was the point of what was being spoken about from the very beginning, and you just simply missed it. So let's restate these things a little bit. Let's, let's revisit some of these things that God has been telling you for generations so that we can get to the real heart of the matter. You know, Keith, uh, a couple of weeks ago, pointed out that the Old Testament law was meant to help people get to the heart issue. Right? It was not just about behavioral or, or the, the actionable things that the law was trying to get to. All over Scripture, you see Jesus and the writers pointing to the heart, saying that out of the heart come these behavioral things, these actionable things. This is one of the reasons I love the Sermon on the Mount, because in this first chapter, in chapter 5, he's saying, you've heard that it was said, but this is what I'm saying. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago when you looked at the do not murder section? That's like one of my favorite sections because Jesus is like saying, hey guys, you remember when it was said, do not murder? And if you murder, you're going to be judged. And I just kind of picture everyone around listening and they're like, yeah, I totally get that. Don't murder. If I murder, I'm going to be judged. And Jesus is like, no, yeah, but there's something you, you missed about that. Because any... Anything that would lead a person to want to murder somebody is also not what God wants for you. You, you missed it a little bit. We got to get to the heart. He says, in other words, if you let your anger fester, then you're not living fully into the reality of God's desire for you. Because honestly, murder is an external consequence of an internal reality, right? Right? And Jesus is saying, look, it's about your heart. This is what he also says the same thing about adultery in the next section. Adultery is the external consequence of an internal reality. And so Jesus is saying, let's work on the heart. Let's look at the heart. The heart is what matters. And yes, of course, all of the, the external consequences of our choices matter. But when you focus on the behavior without transforming the instigator of that behavior then perhaps what happens is the behavior will change, but you will end up staying the same. And I think this is what is so powerful about Jesus and his ministry on earth. Because Jesus came to provide what Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says. You guys want to throw that one up on the, the screen? It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And see, this is what Jesus is doing in his entire ministry, and specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. 
The people were getting really, really good at following the the behavioral expectations without allowing God's word to seep deep into their hearts where real change takes place, where real transformation takes place. And so Jesus says, let's revisit some of this. Let's look at some of this again. And so this morning, we're looking at the part of the Sermon on the Mount that I think is, is really, really important. But it's also one of the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that I think we kind of just breeze past a little bit. Because it's only four short verses, and we kind of, we read it, and we're like, okay, maybe I get this, maybe I don't. We kind of move on to the next parts of the story. But this one's so, so important. So if you guys have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at 33 through 37, or it's going to be up on your screens as well. And it says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And this is the word of God from Matthew chapter 5. And so Jesus starts this conversation um, with this murder section that you guys looked at a couple of weeks ago. And then that starts kind of six conversations that he begins with, you've heard that it was said. And and I think this is significant because it tells me that the the Jewish people really struggled with a very important part of, of God's kingdom living, of living in God's kingdom. That so much of living in the kingdom of God is not about saying all the right things. It's not about doing all the right things. But rather, it's about our hearts being the right thing. The entire Old Testament law was was meant to shape the human heart. It was meant to shape the heart of God's people to look more like his heart. And over and over, they missed the point and simply lived out the easiest version of what was being said. They followed the letter of the law without allowing the law to do what it was supposed to do, which was changing the human heart to look more like the heart of God. And again, this is what the entire Sermon on the Mount is is all about. It was Jesus trying to help his people go beyond the, the superficial following of rules to get to the place where those things could fulfill their intention. But honestly, this sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? This sounds a little bit like us. I think perhaps we've switched out the laws that we hold over ourselves and the people around us. But I think this is something that modern Christianity needs to hear just as much as the people who are present with Jesus need to hear. And that's honestly... What is the point of the things that we do as churches? We, we come to church, we're, we make disciples, we're doing evangelism, we have all these spiritual disciplines, and these things are not just boxes that we check off so that we can go to heaven someday. These things are, are meant to draw us deeper into the, the presence of God. They're meant to, to draw us deeper into the things of God so that God's presence can then transform our hearts so that they look like his. And yet we so often miss this, I think. We so often miss this, just like the Jews missed it in the time of Jesus. 
But then we read passages like, or we read the Sermon on the Mount, and we think, how did they not get this? This seems so clear. How did they miss it? And so this section on oath-taking and promises is one of the most important parts of the entire Sermon on the Mount, in my opinion. And I, and I, know, I know you may hear that and you may think, is it real, really? Is it? It's only it's four short verses. Is it really that important? But I think it's one of the most important parts of the Sermon on the Mount because, because the rest of Scripture will talk over and over and over again about the power of our words to shape the human heart. See, all over Scripture, the idea of heart is unequivocally connected to our words and vice versa. That what we say reveals what is in our heart, and what is in our heart will eventually come out through our words. And you may be thinking, but yeah, he's talking about our words. You're talking about words generically. He's talking about oaths and promises. Isn't there a difference in this? Yes, maybe there's a little bit of a difference, but ultimately, no, the point is the same. And that's what we want to unpack a little bit this morning together from this passage. You know, one of the most incredible things that I think about uh, the human, our human development is how words, how human communication will either help us develop the way that we're supposed to or will dramatically slow and degrade our development. You know, there's countless studies that you can look up that talk about the development of children and how kids who have parents who are frequently speaking to them using a variety of vocab help them then to develop in tremendous ways. But then the opposite also is true, right? Kids who are constantly talked down to or simply just not talked to at all or very rarely tend to, have, tend to struggle in their development, See, we, we need words to sustain us. We sometimes, I think, believe that our most basic needs as humans end at things like water and food and shelter. But those are external needs that we absolutely do need, but there are internal needs that are imperative for us in our development as humans. Things like love. We need love as humans. But not just to be loved, we need to be told that we are loved. Why? Why is that important to be told that you're loved? Because, because when you're told that you're loved, especially as a child, that is in part how our brains then begin to be wired to know that we are actually lovable. See, a, a person who doesn't have someone to talk to will end up going mad. A person that doesn't have someone to tell them I love you will ultimately begin to believe that they are not lovable. Our words are incredibly powerful, so powerful. You know, I, I think one of the biggest lies that we have told ourselves and kids for generations is a, is a phrase that you guys have all heard many times. It's called, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can, may never, or can never hurt me. You guys have heard that one, right? And I understand the sentiment of why we say that, that, that statement to each other, but it's, it's not true. Words have the ability to shape so much. Words have caused wars and mass deaths while also bringing great unity and inspiring ingenuity and great creativity. It's also true, though, that the things that we say 
tend to be the things that we believe or will come to believe about ourselves and about the people and the things that are around us, right? If we constantly say that God is anger, then we will start to believe that God is angry all the time and probably angry at me right now. When we say that our friends are kind and loving and we say it over and over and over, we start to see them more and more as kind and loving. Our words have the ability to shape what we believe. See, the more that we say a thing, the more it becomes true for ourselves. When I was training with the uh, victim support team with the Seattle uh, Police Department, which is this really genuinely amazing organization that, that work with people in uh, domestic violence situations to create, um, they would create safety plans, they would create uh, just all sorts of preventative measures and just so much more to support people in those kinds of situations. But one of the trainings that we had um, was done by this police officer, and he was telling us all the ways that we are unsafe in our cities. And so he began to talk about the safety protocols that we should all adopt when we're in our homes. And there were a lot of them were really good things to be thinking about. But he would say things like, you know, when someone comes and knocks at the door, don't open the door. Just ask from, you know, with the door closed, who is it? Then you can open the door if you know them. He said, never leave your doors or windows open because that's a potential way for people to get in. And then he said, and I kid you not, he said this. He said, just um, basically... Assume that everyone is out to get you and you'll be safer. And I don't want to knock everything that he was saying about how to keep yourself safe in your city or in your home because a lot of it was really good protocols and good things to be thinking about. But I remember going home and talking to my wife, Laura, and just saying, look, I feel like the more that we tell ourselves and each other just how deeply unsafe the city is, that everyone is out to harm me, then it's inevitable that I will feel unsafe. It's just inevitable. Even when I'm in my home, I will feel unsafe. And we don't have to necessarily you know, go to the opposite extreme and ignore the realities of dangers but we can balance the narrative so that we tell ourselves and each other, not everyone is out to harm me. In fact, I think most people are probably out to just simply ignore me. Or if they're not out to ignore me, they're probably out to just kind of be cordial and hope that I don't say anything to them. Right? But the more that we say those things, the more we find ourselves feeling less unsafe and maybe a little bit more confident in humanity. Isn't it also true, if you guys have ever moved to a new house in a new neighborhood, the longer that you wait to talk to your neighbors, the harder it becomes to do so. And then the easier it becomes to develop a sense of distrust of the people that you haven't yet stepped out to meet or talk to. This is just kind of the reality of our humanity. When we first moved to Seattle, we didn't know a single person here in the city. But we wanted to meet our neighbors, and so we did what was probably very anti-Seattle, which we just hung out in our front yard and literally waited for people to walk by, and then we would stop them and talk to them. And I know for a long time people thought that we were the craziest people. <laughs> but eventually we wore them down, and they love us. So um, it worked out well. But we believe... That conversation, that our words, that communication has the ability to strip our defenses away as people 
and to help us know people, to help us form community, to help us form connection, which is then how people feel safer in cities. But see, the truth is that our words have the ability to create safer places or more fearful places. Our words can shape what we think, how we see the world, how we view others. Tim Keller has said it really well. He said, a liar eventually believes his lies, a slanderer eventually begins to hate, and a complainer eventually loses hope. Our words tend to be the things that we believe or will come to believe. See, and I think Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. And and the Bible, see, it knows the power of our words, which is why all over Scripture is this conversation around our words and our hearts. Go back this week and read Proverbs chapter 12. It is filled in Proverbs chapter 12 with what it means to have our words be good, basically. And see, Jesus knew the teachings of Scripture. And he knew the teachings of the rabbis who were teaching the people, the Jewish people in the area. But he also knew that the people would have, they would have understood these things. They would have heard all the the teachings of scripture regarding the power of words. But it was still apparent that they saw that their words were sometimes having power and sometimes not having power. Sometimes causing problems and sometimes not causing problems. Jesus knew this. And so Jesus, when he says in this passage, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. He isn't actually quoting scripture directly here. It's pretty important. Yes, all over scripture, there are, there are parts of it that will say things that are like this. But what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the rabbi's interpretation of scripture's teachings in this place. And so then, in other words, he's looking at the people who are present around him going, hey, look, you've heard some things about this idea of taking oaths, about promises, about the power of your words, and we need to revisit it a little bit because you missed some really important parts of this. See, in in rabbinic teaching, oaths had multiple levels to them. There were multiple levels of oath-making. And so some oaths could be broken, and they didn't have necessarily any legal consequences to them. Maybe they had some just social or familial consequences to them, but they didn't have legal ramifications. While some other oaths were seen as much more important, and if you broke those oaths, there were severe legal ramifications for breaking them. And see, it's, it's these, these very levels of oath-making that Jesus is trying to dismantle when he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Because see, in their day and age, making an oath to heaven, using heaven as the binding factor, would have had severe consequences for breaking that oath. While making an oath on your own hair or the hair of your kid didn't carry the same weight to them. And so there was these different levels of oath-making in Jewish culture and religion. And what would have happened is that the people would have understand the system of oath-making that was created and brought about, and they would have taken advantage of that system for their own gain and benefit. 
And so people would, would work the oath system to basically say what they wanted to say, but then immediately get out of having to hold true to the oath. Um, I don't know if you guys had this kind of a childhood. Story time, everybody. Did you make promises growing up as a kid? I made promises as a kid. I remember so well making promises as a kid that I would eventually try to get out of because we would, you know, not use all the right language to make the promise officially and formally binding with my friends. And so I I would say things to my friend like, hey, I promise that you can ride my bike tomorrow. And tomorrow would come around and I wouldn't let my friend ride my bike. And then he'd be like, look, man, you promised. And I was like, yes, but... I didn't say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Therefore, I am not bound by the laws of promise making to allow you to ride my bike. And then I would ride off into the sunset on my bike with a sign on my back that said something like, know the game, dude, or something like that. And I probably didn't do that part. But the point is, is that growing up, we would use all sorts of things to get out of our promises, Did you guys ever play shotgun as a kid, which is when you're trying to get the front seat of a car with your siblings? Do you remember that? If you have siblings, you know this so well. I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and so shotgun was fairly brutal at our house. But we had that game where if you called shotgun first, then you could sit in the front seat, and everyone was bound to uphold the shotgun rules. And so inevitably, we all agreed to play by the rules of shotgun, but... Then my older siblings, I was number five of six, would start creating all these brand new rules, which meant that they didn't have to hold to the old rules. And so they would say things like shotgun infinity, Jared, (laughs) which meant that they could sit in the front seat whenever they wanted to. And I couldn't do anything about it because I was the younger brother and I didn't know the game. It was just rude. But this is exactly, and maybe not exactly, but close to what the people were doing as they were creating this system of rules for for how people took oaths and made promises and interacted with, with business deals and religious activities. And all these levels of communication became so convoluted that some people understood them really, really well and then took advantage of other people around them while most people were not in the know of how to play the game of this oath-making and were the ones who were being the ones taken advantage of. As if the rabbis would tell people, look, if you do this for me, then you'll receive these things. And then the people would do it, and then they would be like, yeah, but I didn't say cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And they maybe didn't use that exact phrase. I don't know. It's not recorded anywhere. But, um, but they would say things like, but we didn't swear by heaven. We didn't swear by heaven. Therefore, we don't have to follow through on the things that we said. But see, what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's saying, look, in God's kingdom, in Christianity, the levels have been completely dismantled. That entire system is gone because everywhere you speak, and this is so important, everywhere you speak is, is, being, is done in the presence of God. Everywhere you speak is, is in the presence of God. Remember, the rabbinic teachings, they had all these different levels so that different, you know, they have different sets of expectations and consequences 
as if you said something in one level, it held more value and weight than in others. And Jesus is saying, nah, it's all the same in Christianity. It's all in God's presence. And see, this is to me the really challenging part of this section, okay? Because Jesus is saying in those moments when you say yes to something, that you will do something, that you will say something, you are making an oath before God and God holds you to that. So you better follow through. My youth minister growing up would tell us, if you tell someone that you're going to pray for them, you better pray for them. How many of you have found yourself potentially being guilty of this very thing? Of telling someone, I'll pray for you, and then you fail to follow through. And I know I've done this many, many times. I think we often say things in casual conversation and passing that we, need, that we neither intend to follow through on or we just simply forget to follow through on. And I think prayer is often one of those things for us in churches. But Jesus would say, look, if you have a stack of Bibles that you're placing your hand on, or if you have a kid and you're swearing by his hair, or if in passing you are saying, I will pray for you, it's all the same in God's kingdom and you better pray for that person. And for, I think some of us may be thinking, yeah, but we say things in passing all the time that doesn't mean anything, right? And I think that's the very point. Our wor- if our words are as powerful as we know that they are, and as scripture has revealed that they are, then the passing words that we say carry just as much weight as the ones that we say with great intention and foresight. Think about it from the perspective of the person that we told that we would pray for. We can't know everybody's full story in the moment. And maybe that maybe simply saying to that person, I will pray for you, is the lifeline that they needed in that moment. And I think Jesus in this passage is saying, look, to not follow through on what you said you would do to pray for them is to rob that person of your honesty and then to not allow them the benefit of your prayers. And Jesus is saying, look, in the kingdom of God, there are no levels of truth-telling and honesty because we are all always in God's presence together. There's no levels. So it would be better for you and the person next to you that if you don't mean that you will pray for them or to do something for them or whatever, to just not even speak. (laughs) To not even speak or to make a promise that you're not going to uphold. You know, I don't know about you guys, but this kind of cuts deeply to the heart for me. And at minimum, I think it causes me to pause and think about the things that I say with more intentionality. How often have I been guilty of this kind of thing? And what damage have I potentially done to myself and the people around me by forgetting the power of my words? To make a promise to my kids to play a game and then to not follow through with them. To make a promise that I'm going to show up and then to not do so. See, I think Jesus was trying to help the, the people there understand that in the kingdom, what you say really, really matters. What you say really matters. And this is why he sums it up by saying, so then, if it matters this much, so then, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. 
And I think sometimes in churches we misunderstand or misuse this to say, therefore, we should never make promises or oaths or swear by anything. And that's not what Jesus is doing in this passage. I mean, if you've been married, you've made an oath to your spouse. If you've been baptized into Jesus, you're making a commitment to Christ, right? Making those kinds of oaths and promises are not bad, and, but sometimes we do slip up and we don't fully live into those. But Jesus' point is to say that in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, we don't look for ways to make promises and oaths that we are just going to get out of later. That's not what we do. We don't misunderstand the power of our words in the kingdom of God. See, this is not about not making promises. It's about understanding that every time we speak, we do so in the presence of God. So therefore, speak with intentionality and purpose. And if you say you're going to show up, show up. If you say you're going to pray, then pray. If you say you're going to be committed, then be committed. Because the God who keeps his word expects his people to keep theirs. You know, there's one final piece about this section, and then we'll wrap some things up. We said earlier that the entire Sermon on the Mount is about getting to the heart, right? Shaping the human heart to look more like God's. And scripture will often describe how the heart is shaped by our words, and our words are a revelation of what's in our heart. Which means then, I think, (laughs) that in the kingdom we'll probably be doing a lot more listening and a lot less talking. And I think I need you to hear that one more time. I think this means that in the kingdom, we're going to be doing a lot more listening and a lot less talking. Uh, James, James says this as much in James chapter 1, verse 19. You can throw that one on there. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Have you thought about how often God listens to you? How often the Spirit listens to your heart? You know, Romans chapter 8 says that the Spirit intercedes for us when we can't figure out what to say. And so he speaks to God on our behalf with wordless groans, right? Which to me tells me that the Spirit of God is constantly listening to my heart and my spirit, bringing wordless groans to God for me. I think one of the striking things about this passage on oath-making is honestly the length of it. Because in four verses, Jesus dismantles literally countless pages of rabbinic teachings on oath-making and sums up the expectation of God concerning our words with a profound simplicity. So let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And this is more of a subtle way uh, of him saying, so hold to your word. I think Jesus is summarizing God's expectation for his people regarding our words by, by showing two simple things. First, simplicity. And second, intentionality. You know, the power of words is not always seen in how many we use. Often when, you know, Keith and I, guys like us, we'll talk to new preachers, we'll tell them, hey, once you've learned to to say more with less words, then you're becoming a better preacher, which is something that I obviously haven't learned very well. But the power of our words is not always seen in how many we use. So what if in this section, Jesus was helping people see that the real heart issue is our failure to embrace simplicity and intentionality in our use of our words. That listening is often far better than speaking. But when we do speak, 
we do so with intentionality and simplicity. See, when we overcomplicate our words, we often will look for ways to use the systems that are in place to get out of the things that we say. We'll say things like, oh, I just said that to them so they would feel better. Or I just told them that I would pick him up, but I didn't really mean it. I was just wanting him to feel loved in the moment. I tend to believe, though, that the more God's people listen and use our words with intentionality and simplicity, then the more the gospel will not only be heard more effectively, but it'll be experienced more fully. I think we've fallen sometimes for the lie that if we say a whole bunch of things to people, then they will eventually understand that I'm right and come to my side of things. And if they're not on my side of things, it's because I didn't talk them into it, and so I gotta go back to them and use a couple more words to make sure that they got what I was trying to say. But the truth is that there is power in limiting our words so that when we do speak, we speak the very voice of God to people. You guys remember that passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11? I think that one's on there too. Yep. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I mean, have you thought about that? To me, that says that we better take care to, to think about the things that we say. If scripture is telling us that we should speak as if speaking the very words of God, then that tells me that we have some work to do to create some simplicity and intentionality in the things that we say. See, making promises, taking oaths, swearing, and that doesn't mean cussing, by the way. These are not bad things that Jesus is saying not to do. He's saying you missed the point. You took the teachings of scripture and you manipulated them for your own benefit, which has harmed your ability to speak life into people. Instead, what was happening was that the power of their words was being stripped bare and was being used to harm and abuse and manipulate. And so Jesus is saying, let me tell you what to do instead. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. All right, so what do we do with this part of the Sermon on the Mount? What are we supposed to take out of this? I think there's three things that we can really take from this passage of scripture. First, we begin to understand the power of our words and start using them to bring the goodness of God into people's lives. When did you last send a text or call someone or just meet up with someone simply to encourage them, to love on them, to speak kindness and love to them? Scott McKnight, which he's a, a theologian, has this great book called A Church Called Tove. And Tove is a Hebrew word for goodness. And so he says that a Tove church or a church that is living into the goodness of God will sound like God. In other words, we will speak goodness to people. And if we aren't speaking goodness to people, then we're not doing what 1 Peter says, speaking as one who speaks the very words of God. So this week, let's commit to speaking goodness to someone specifically. And so the second thing, take stock of the unkept promises that we have made, that you have made, and begin to use your words with more simplicity and intentionality. And I don't mean that you should go back and every time you told someone that you were going to pray for them and didn't, then you should go to them and say, hey, look, I didn't do this, or all of those things. But maybe just look at the last week and think, how many times did I say something that, didn't, that I didn't fall through on? Let's start taking stock of our words this week and the things that we say and then begin to speak with more simplicity and intentionality. And then the last thing, the last thing we can take away from this is talk less, listen more. 
people need to be listened to now probably more than I have ever seen in my life. Why? Because our world does the exact opposite of what Scripture says, and they speak very, very quickly and a lot, and they listen very rarely. And yet I think so often as followers of Jesus, we fall into the pattern of our world, and we speak more and we listen less. So let's commit to listening a lot this week. Listen to people. Even, the, even if you may not agree with people, sometimes what will happen when you listen to people is that you're going to le- hear a level of pain that a person is feeling, which then becomes an opportunity with simplicity and intentionality to speak the goodness of Jesus to them. But we don't find those moments when we're speaking more than we're listening. So those are the three things we can do. Begin to understand the power of our words and start using them to bring the goodness of God into people's lives. Take stock of our unkept promises and begin to use our words with more simplicity and intentionality and then talk less and listen more. God, thank you for um, Jesus. Man, (laughs) Jesus is so smart and so wise, and I just love his teachings and the things that we can learn from him, and especially the Sermon on the Mount, which is such a great way of seeing how we so often are just like the people sitting in the crowds, and we miss the heart of what it is that you're doing. And so, God, I just pray that we begin to see how we, our, our words are so powerful to shape so much in our world, and may we use them to bring the goodness of, of God into people's lives. So thank you for for just your word, and thank you for this church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.